Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Happy Monday, Dr. Paul. How are you today? It's Monday already. Yes, that's right. That weekend is over. And all that fun this weekend. Uh, <laughs> we uh, still have our summer weather. You yeah, know? yeah. That's, you? that's good. Yeah. Even though um, even my garden, my little garden and the flowers and the grass, could use a little water. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I looked around my foundation yesterday and I was a little nervous. There's a big gap. I know it's dry when I see the roads starting to buckle, at, yeah. least, at least the blacktop roads. That's my driveway, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know about that, huh? Not good. Okay, let's see if what we're going to talk about today. Uh, what's generally in the news? There was a CR they were dealing with. But the big news was really, will the government be shut down? Yeah. And at the last minute, somebody came to the rescue. It's simple as pie. We were going to do this all the time. We had this agreement worked out. We wouldn't know at the last minute. And then, uh, then we can fight over who gets the blame. Yeah. <laughs> so they're still trying to figure out uh, why it take, took so long. But it's so temporary. And it's so miss, as far as I'm concerned, it's so miss, missing the point. Uh, the biggest political point, though, in the discussion uh, within the Republican Party, as well as internationally and all this, is uh, Ukraine, funding yeah. for Ukraine. Uh, but but to, uh, to me, they missed the point. The funding is, is very important. If we didn't have so much money and have a world reserve currency, we couldn't do it. Yeah. But it, uh, also, if the funding gets too much and you get inflation, the people are going to object to it. So it's a big, big issue. But uh, I, I think the, uh, the, the whole thing about where, whether they're going to put a couple of dollars or billions and billions, trillions of dollars more into this is, uh, is not exactly the, the, uh, the, the whole issue. The whole issue is why do we have this foreign policy? They don't challenge the foreign policy. How do we get in a trap like this? You know, and uh, we're always in war and we're always worrying about the budget. But you know what? I've never seen over these years ever talk of maybe, uh, you know, we, we should end up cutting some. They're getting closer. There's a debate going on. The American people are getting restless, but that's still minor compared to the big picture. But it's a healthy debate about, you know, is there a limit, uh, you know, to... Uh, uh, to the spending. And so I think it's more economic than the discussions that were going on in, 19, in the 1960s, because back then it was the uh, progressive left who were rioting in our streets and said enough is enough. And they were on the right side, as far as I was concerned, because we were fighting a war that was undeclared, and a lot of Americans being killed. And we had, uh, you know, a, a, president, a president that believed in guns and butter. You don't have to worry about ever having having uh, problems uh, because you have to buy guns for people or use them. Uh, but this time they're starting to talk about it. So there are some benefits from this, but I still think that the general picture of monetary policy, real concern about the budget and uh, the foreign policy of interventionism, uh, these, these things aren't really discussed. If we could just set them aside and get, keep the government open, you know, make sure everybody's going to get a check. And yet they still get hysterical and they all know they're going to get a check. It's going to have to wait a day or two and then that, that'll be a matter of fact, 
I guess they won't even miss a check now. They've got, what, a 45-day reprieve. Yeah. So, so we'll see what happens. But uh, th these things are going to continue until we change uh, what we think the basic role for our government should be and uh, whether or not we'll ever think about following the Constitution. So this is a change now. You're a little more cynical. I'm a, more, a little bit more sanguine about what happened over the weekend because I think it was actually an interesting and important development because as we were talking about on, Tuesday, on Thursday, this whole thing is going down to Ukraine funding. The government is going to shut down because stubborn Republicans refused to take the Ukraine money out of the continuing resolutions. And it came down to the wire on Saturday afternoon with a few holdouts, Mitch McConnell being one of them, and we'll talk about him next, a few holdouts saying we've got to keep Ukraine money in this CR. And the rest of the party saying if you do that, we will A, have a shutdown of government, and all Republicans are going to be blamed for it. It's going to be a huge hit for us. So they finally relented. So the reason I think it's significant, Dr. Paul, is it shows you that so when this whole thing started, the aid for Ukraine was automatic. There was just no. Now you're showing that it actually is an impediment to even passing a continuing resolution and keeping the government funding. So the opposition to this blank check for Ukraine has now gone from zero to so powerful it could stop the government. I just happen to think that's a pretty promising thing. Yeah, I think that is too, and that is a positive. The big question is, I've seen some of these things come and go, <laughs> and yeah. uh, so often I, I think it, this is a step, If it were, if, and hopefully it is a step, and we will encourage it to be a step, but it is a puny step when you think about what's, what's real, really go, going on. And, uh, and one of the things they did here, the solution to solve this dilemma uh, to, to preserve a little bit of sanity and give you a little bit of optimism was we'll do it in secret. Yeah, what yeah. we're going to do is we're going to take it out and those rebels in the Republican Party will say, oh, look, we won and we're doing well. At the same time, they behind the scenes, you know, can you believe the two leaders, two leaders in the, both the Republican and Democratic talk to you and connive against yeah. the people and then they pretend they're, they're really, really uh, you, you know, uh, enemies of each other, but they, they, they work it out when it comes to down to the bottom line. The money is not going to be stopped for these wars until we stop the foreign policy and the monetary policy. Otherwise, these are going to continue. But I think your point is that the people are starting to wake up, so there are some. And there's members of Congress that are starting to wake up, yeah. and uh, they they were they got their attention. They got attention of a lot of people, and uh, and it's not over yet. Yeah. So we'll see. They almost stopped the bill, but you're right. I mean, this is Matt, what Matt Gates is claiming, is that McCarthy went behind the House Republicans' back and met with the Democrats and said, "Hey guys, just keep it on the down low here. We're going to take the money out from Ukraine because we got to pass it. These radicals over here are getting on my nerves." But don't worry, we're going to bring it up separately. And, well, my own party may not have enough to pass it, but you guys help me out and we'll get that money to Ukraine. Now, that's what Gates is suggesting that McCarthy did. We weren't there. We don't know. Kind of sounds like something he would do. But, <laughs> um, but, he, but when it did happen, he's furious. And he's mad and he was on the news. In fact, let's listen to... Now, I mixed up... I, I, I've changed my mind, I think, on the uh, order of things. Let's go to that bonus clip first. And listen to Matt Gates on the Sunday shows yesterday talking about his motion to vacate the chair 
It's the second one, the bonus video. I know I led you astray back there, and I apologize. Here we go. Let's listen to this whole clip and hear uh, Matt Gates talk about his rationale for what he's trying to do. But so, so you're not accomplishing anything here. I mean, that's not true. Well, you, well, you, you, you don't have the votes to remove him. Well, so. I don't. I, by the way, I don't know until we have him. And by the way, I might ha not have him the first time, but I might have him before the 15th ballot. That's the number of ballots Kevin McCarthy needs. So, so are you going to do this every day like you had suggested? Or are you going to like go go through this? process of voting over and over and over again? I am relentless, and I will continue to pursue this objective. And if all the American people see is that it is a uniparty that governs them, and that it is always the Biden-McCarthy-Jeffries government that makes dispositive decisions on spending, then I am, I am seeding the fields of future primary contests to get better Republicans in Washington who will actually tackle these deficits. Seeding the fields of future primary races to get better Republicans to tackle the deficits. That sounds pretty good. Well, you know, the, the other thing, that I have to find something to worry about <laughs> because, because somebody says I'm overly optimistic about it. But I have to worry about, you know, uh, not having uh, false hope. Yeah. Uh, you have to know what the truth is. So the one thing that bothers me about this is some of the best fighters against this stuff for Ukraine. What are they going to do with the money? Yeah. All this money, they're going to say, oh, yeah. well, what we have to do is send more ships to patrol and pester the Chinese yeah. because yeah. They're, the, they're the real enemy. And uh, that, that's what will happen. So it's, it's the spending and the deficits and the monetary system. It's so institutionalized that uh, we have to do everything to stop it, reverse it, explain it to get people to understand why it's so important. And uh, when the opportunity uh, really comes, and I think of the real opportunity, these are little opportunities to make see these points. But when the, when the big thing comes, if we have to do some rebuilding and the cultural Marxist says, see, we, we, we wanted chaos, we have chaos, now we're going to take over. That, that'll be the question. Who's gonna take over and clean up the mess? Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that they're gonna try to get money through for Ukraine. We've already, only giving them a hundred billion, right? So they need more. And here's, let's put up that first article. And this is from Politico. Uh, and this is about the fight. We don't know how it's gonna go. Politico says the GOP senators wait, go big or go home strategy on Ukraine. Meaning they wanna put a bunch of money in a single bill and fund Ukraine at least for the next year. I think that says a couple things, Dr. Paul. First and most importantly, they realize how unpopular it is to continue to spend send billions of dollars to Ukraine. If there was no political liability, they'd do one every week and rest on their laurels. Hey, we gave them more money. Hey, we gave them more money. They realize that it's a liability and they don't know how to get, get through it. Let's just go through a couple of short things on this, uh, on this article just to show you what they were saying. Um, so the question is whether they want to do a single bill that can last through the election season. And Senator John Cornyn, who unfortunately is our senior senator from Texas, <laughs> not much better than our junior senator, he says, it's obvious there's some fatigue. And so my own view is we need to do it one time. We don't want to do this again every three months. So he's recognizing that people, uh, in, certainly in Texas, are not in favor of it. Uh, if we can go to the next one really quick, um, actually go to the next one after that. So in the House Republican Conference, in the House, even some of Ukraine's once strongest allies have revolted against more cash. And they're starting to realize this. Um, go to the next one if you can. Sorry, Dr. Paul, but 
just to go over the Politico article. And so McConnell is sitting there on Saturday with his top henchman saying, I will not allow this money to come out. And he's stomping his feet and he's pig biting mad. And he says, McConnell kept advocating for the Senate's bill and its Ukraine funding up until Saturday's party lunch when it became clear that the rest of the party simply wanted to avoid a shutdown. So this is on McConnell. He was ready to shut down the government. And one <coughs> last thing, because this is Andrew Desiderio, who reports for Punchbowl, uh, which is a good up-and-coming uh, alternative news outlet. I don't know. I wasn't there. You weren't there, Dr. Paul, but this is a fascinating story. He says, Senate Republicans overruled McConnell on CR strategy during lunch. McConnell made forceful case for Ukraine and voting to advance Senate CR. Majority of the conference opposed, including Senator Thune. McConnell then walked out and said, ours will vote no on cloture. Very yeah. interesting, these play-by-play. I know you don't like that, but I still want to get excited about well, something. Yeah, well, uh, there, it's a good point to make, too, because uh, uh, you, you have to have some opinion, prevailing opinion of the people, and I think that's what we're hearing from. The people are sick and tired of it, and they're going to be way ahead of the clowns who really own Congress yeah. and the establishment. And so there's this catching up. So it's great to see McConnell get a little bit perturbed because <laughs> yeah. that means. But the, the prevailing opinion shifted during the COVID war, you know, and that made a big difference. We yeah. didn't we didn't have anybody. Oh well, what we have to do is get these uh, officials elected, and they're going to pass laws to restrain or do something with the pharmaceuticals or get the government out of medicine, that sort of thing. But the, so the prevailing attitude is very important, and that, that is the case. But uh, the deep state doesn't go away. Yeah. They, they just retrench and they reorganize. But uh, and the way I see the big picture is they go away when they don't have anything else left to do. And that's when they get their chaos, as some of them plan for, and they ruin the monetary system. And then there's not going to be these arguments over, uh, you know, a, a couple trillion dollars here and yeah. there you know it, it's going to be a big a big deal because the whole world is suffering from this uh, monetary crisis but it's out in front right now and it's turning into a, a political crisis because uh, some people think that that's that's our responsibility that's a, it's just, to me that's a distraction for the people to make it make them feel good i think that somebody did a recent poll that said it was uh, moral reasons why we had to be there it had, yeah. they, they didn't have a higher higher level of thinking about that it was the, the moral, the only moral p p position was to stop those Ukrainians from invading you know, and taking Russia. Russia. Uh, you know, uh, that's yeah. some sort of thing. Well, speaking of that, making the moral argument, now here is probably not the most moral person in the Senate, but here's a clip from Lindsey Graham. <laughs> <laughs> and here's him, I think, I forget what, 42 seconds or something of Lindsey. It's probably all we can take without becoming ill. But listen to little Lindsey over here over the weekend on the talk shows. He's making the case that we better, ne he's actually wearing a Ukrainian flag on his lapel, by the way. He's making the case that we have got to continue funding Ukraine. Let's listen to what he has to say here. Have you asked uh, Donald Trump, your friend, to come out and publicly support more aid to Ukraine and to push some of these skeptical members of the Republican conference? I'll leave it up to him to what to do, but he wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Well, Vladimir Putin has been praising him for yeah, his comments well, about Russia and Ukraine. Here's what I'll say about President Trump. 
He did not pull the plug on Afghanistan, even though he wanted to. The biggest mistake we made since the war on terror is withdrawing from Afghanistan. To President Trump and anybody else, if we pull the plug on Ukraine, that's 10 times worse than Afghanistan. There goes Taiwan. To stop funding Ukraine is a death sentence for Taiwan. Putin will keep going. You missed all of World War II if you don't know how this uh, movie ends to the okay. Republic. That's enough. So if you miss World War II if you don't know how this movie ends. Well, the Russians and Soviets were fighting the Nazi Germans in World War II. Did he not get that part? I mean, it's amazing. You know, he makes he make his point and said that uh, we have to stay there because uh, that was the worst mistake since 9-11. Uh, yeah. But, but think of, uh, think of the, uh, the, war, the war in Afghanistan was yeah. fought over 9-11, yeah. over and Iraq, uh, Iran and Iraq, oh, Iraq was fought over that too. Yep. And, uh, and how he could say the biggest failure is we left, is, uh, we left Afghanistan. Afghanistan, yeah. we, we, I, I know, I always see that. It's about time. Yeah, <laughs> and it yeah. should have happened a long time ago, and that's why that stuff. Some olders. So I'm, uh, I'm sure uh, it'll be a few years before uh, everything is settled in uh, Afghanistan. It's amazing warmonger. You know, first of all, how cynical and sick this individual is, because he's not saying we have to keep supporting Ukraine because we're for democracy and we want it for their freedom. No, he says if we stop funding the murder and death of Ukrainian soldiers, well, then the Chinese are going to take over Taiwan. How <laughs> cynical. Viewing these individuals, families, as just pieces on a chessboard for his grand strategy. You know, and I suggest that, the, that how weird that argument is, is, is what if we continue to do uh, real well in their eyes and we really settle this whole thing uh, and, or the war gets really going, uh, you know, in, in Ukraine, that might be the, uh, if the Chinese, if their goal was to take Taiwan, it looks like there might be an op opportunity that way too. Yeah. You know, it looks like e either way, if that's their goal, they could do it because uh, either we, we wound up leaving and use that as a sign of weakness or it was, uh, you know, they're so busy and we're getting disgusted with war and we'll do it. And yeah, either way. Uh, uh, fortunately, I, I hope they never have a clear reason to do, to do it. Yeah. But uh, all I know is we have a lot of people in ships and uh, monitoring every single thing. And I think I think this they're winning they're winning that war of uh, propaganda. Uh, China China keeps going down, but but look how look you know not that many years ago we were trading with China and yeah. we still trade with China. Oh, yeah. We're and then we get we yell at them for doing this investment stuff. Yeah, why where they get all this money? <laughs> oh, we, we buy their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's just so crazy. How dare they? Yeah. <laughs> well, the final thing on this. And this is a friend of mine, Molly Hemingway. We were both Bob Novak journalism fellows together. Put this next one on. She's now the editor-in-chief of The Federalist. She has a good piece that came out today. Now, she frames the, the headline a little different than I think reality. Despite growing opposition and serious problems at home, Democrats make Ukraine funding their top priority. And in all fairness, the article does talk a lot about Republicans uh, making it a priority as well and puts the blame firmly on McConnell where it belongs. But she makes a very good point in the article, and it's a critical one that we've made on the show that bears repeating. If you go to the next clip, this is in Molly's article, and she's talking about, she says, Congress has approved $113 billion in four rounds of funding. 
Many polls show significantly weakening support for additional funding. In fact, some 55% of Americans oppose additional funding, according to a poll from the left-wing media outlet CNN. That percentage, she writes, goes up to 71% for Republicans. 71% of Republicans say no more money. It's political suicide to stake your career then on more money. A, you know, when people are, as, as, as the people in this country, you know, get further in a, in a problem and debt and inflation and they're, they're, they're desperate, they don't understand it, and just think this is that, well, they, they're overly generous in doing a, an unconstitutional program of student loans, yeah. so they suspend it. So now, oh, this is a good time to put, to put it back on. <laughs> Can you imagine, you know, what percentage are not going back to pay, making those payments? Yeah. Psychologically, the whole thing is over, yeah. you know. So, and uh, that, that, that's why it's a, it's a total failure where you work with uh, fiat money. Yeah. <laughs> you do too many things that don't work and the debt is unbearable. Yeah, well, let's go on to a couple of other foreign issues. Now, we both noticed over the weekend the new UK defense secretary has come out swinging. He did an interview where he said, hey, we want to put official British military troops on Ukrainian soil to train Ukrainians, just as trainers and advisors, like poor old JFK with Vietnam, right? Just over there to advise and train. Well, that made a huge, huge uproar. Uh, former prime minister and president of Russia, uh, Medvedev, wrote, hey, we're gonna, <laughs> these guys are targets if you do that. This is serious business. Well, Rishi Sunak, the prime minister of the UK, very quickly, and I'll put this next one on, this is the Daily Mail, he very quickly came out and said, my defense secretary has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> he did not mean that whatsoever. <coughs> That's kind of what he said, but he said it a little bit differently. Uh, he said, um, the prime minister insisted that the idea floated by the defense secretary was, quote, not what's happening and not something for the here and now. So it's something that they may happen in the future. So Grant Shapps, the defense secretary for the UK, spoke a little too soon. The way I see this, this was established by another red line. You know, we've had several. and. and and the countries our side have gone over this red line nothing happened sometimes it's the same way here but i i think uh, they uh they think that uh uh you, you know that eventually nobody will you, you know rebel against it but uh you know even if even if it sort of works let's say they um are threatened and they and they back off hook like you know now oh we didn't mean that we didn't mean that but but you know when they threaten this and they say we do it okay well now we understand where the red line is we're going to walk up right here but we have other things that we can do we have secret things that we can we have we have the cia and we have all kinds of things and we have missiles and drones how how do you divide that up morally? Yeah. Oh, we didn't step across your red line. If yeah. you did, we'd have blown you up. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I guess it would be worse without any red lines. You know, yeah. that might be worse. Yeah, it might be. Well, it could have been a real a real uh, escalation if they would announce that they're going to put British troops there. You know, yeah. we know they're there. We knew from the um, well those releases early this year the, the those leaks. Uh, the discord leaks that they were already there with their special forces. I'm sure our special forces are there. But what I suspect, Dr. Paul, here's my conspiracy theory, is that good old Grant Shapps, the new 
Defense Secretary of the UK had not gotten his briefing when he started warmongering toward Russia. Because put on this next, next clip, this is from the Daily Mail back in July. This is a great headline. Fight Russia? Britain has just 40 tanks <laughs> and around a dozen frigates and destroyers ready to go to war. The lowest figures in modern, modern times. They don't have a military left because they sent it all to Ukraine. So maybe someone will send him a memo saying, stop threatening war with Russia. Not a good idea. We don't have any tanks. This is why I give the propagandists a lot of credit. They are so shrewd how they can manipulate the people. You know, and this was back, uh, they, they got the people to, yeah, sort of look at it, and it was a holy cause, but it was, it's still manipulation. And, uh, and they're, they, they're able to continue to do that. They, and right now, they, they decided, well, we better bump up another enemy. I mean, this <laughs> thing might not last long enough for us to justify all these weapons weapons that we have to have another enemy and you know the last I don't know how long they've really concentrated on it but the deep state probably in the last year or so they've been really shifting it and at times I, I can remember the 70s and the 80s where people got excited and they were anti-communist conservative business types yeah. they say you can't imagine what a benefit this is going to be to the American uh, business community to have a market over there and they say, yeah, won't they have, then they'll have all our money? No. What are they going to do with their dollars? Bob, you know, <laughs> burn them? <Yeah. laughs> no, it's good. And then the amount of trade between China and the United States and Russia and the United States. It just looked at how Russia was doing well with uh, the Europeans. Oh, yeah, we're selling them their energy. Well, this sounds pretty good. Oh no, they're getting too powerful. Let's blow up. <laughs> blow their, up. Let's blow up their gas line, <laughs> and then they wonder. You know, it's amazing. This, you know, the marketplace, and and free and freedom to even a minor amount of freedom works so well that the detriment it, it sort of hides and covers and permits this crazy stuff. Can you imagine how wealthy and prosperous and peaceful the world would be if they just decided? well we should live with peace yeah. and maybe uh, there'd be less incentive to fight but they have to incentivize people to fight and hate their enemy you gotta you gotta hate the enemy if you're gonna send your kids over there and realize that they not come back but everybody comes back a hero oh you know, yeah so yeah well the last one we're watching I think is a very important story uh, and this is a shocker I sort of suspected and I've been talking about it on radio interviews uh, for the past few weeks but Slovakia Little Slovakia, 9 million, I think 9 million population. Uh, they had an election over the weekend, a general election over the weekend. And put up that next clip. This is from our friends at Anti-War. They do a great summary. As usual, the party that opposes Ukraine aid wins Slovakia election. This is a fascinating story because the ruling party is the one had, that had been all in with NATO, Ukraine spending, confronting Russia. Well. The people of Slovakia spoke, and they wanted to bring back Robert Fico, who had been a prime minister in the past, and he had an interesting transformation. Uh, by the way, Dr. Paul, we talked about it before the show. Now, he used to be the same kind of uh, robot, pro-NATO, pro-anything they want, straight ahead. But supposedly, the story goes that when he saw uh, the 2014 coup in Ukraine, he started, his eyes opened up as to what was going on and he did not like the manipulation and that's where he had a real conversion on the road to Damascus and changed and became more of a populist a more of dare I say it more of a kind of a Donald Trump type 
and, and I just mean in terms of style, a populist. Well, his party has won almost 30% of the vote, 29.9% of the vote, 42 seats out of the 150-seat parliament. Uh, 42 seats out of 150 puts them in the driver's seat. They have a potential coalition partner in a, in a party that broke away from his party a while ago uh, over some specific issues. But they and the Slovak National Party, which is a right-wing party, uh, those three could potentially form a majority coalition, and it was going to be a huge headache for Brussels on this issue. Yeah, you know, uh, early, earlier we were talking about this, and I was uh, trying to figure out how I could claim uh, a little credit for this. <laughs> yeah. You brought me back down to earth rather you quickly. Never know, you never know. <laughs> you, you brought me know. down. It became, and my, my claim was, and, and I'm not going to ever claim it again, which, uh, you know, wasn't quite a claim. But, um, no, the story is, and some of, uh, some of our viewers may have heard it, is in the early part of this century, uh, the president of Czech Republic had been a... Uh, a student or knew and learned from Mises. Yeah, it was great. And they translated human action into Czech. And they were going to have a celebration. And so they invited me over. And I thought, well, this is, this is very good. I think this is pretty neat. We, my wife and I didn't travel, and they were going to offer a trip to two of us. And, and so I went over for the celebration. The, the, the best irony of that trip was the, the celebration was held at the Central Bank of Czech uh -oh. <laughs> But anyway, it was a good event, and we talked about it. But then uh, the, the group that met with me and chaperoned me around was small, and, uh, but very nice, and uh, they were so glad we came. And they, uh, they said, we have a small group in Slovakia. We'd like you to go over and meet with them, too. And I said, well, I don't, I don't drive in Europe, so what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> we'll drive you over there. So they, they took my, my wife and I over there and I uh, met with them. And I thought, well, you know, I was remembering, what good does this do? But then I thought, well, you know, there was a time when uh, I first was in politics here, slightly before the first year I was in politics, if I'd get an invitation to a college yeah. and they say, we have a small libertarian group, would you come? Sure, if they're interested, you know, and I'd go and it'd be six or eight people. And that's about what it was like over there, a small group. So, uh, no, it, it didn't quite have an effect, but you can't ever tell because some some of the people I met, even back in those days when the meeting was small, yeah. there was an impact because they ended up, uh, you know, uh, you know, falling up and doing a lot of things on their own. And uh, I, we're not quite there yet with uh, Slovakia, yeah. but uh, you know, you said he had a change in opinion. It might be just a hundred percent pragmatic or something, but it's still it's still a move that we like, you know, yeah. that that he's uh, not quite stayed. People are willing to, you know, change for whatever reason they have. Well, it's like you always say, you never know when you plant the seeds, which ones will grow. You may have, there may have been of those couple of people there. Some of them may be very influential people in government. Now, we just don't know. We don't know everyone who's involved. <laughs> and when you start talking about why do we have these alliances, why are we provoking other countries? You never know, it fell on fertile ground and <laughs> sprung up. You know? so, and you can't count them according to the biblical message about the remnant. Nobody knows where nobody they knows, are yeah. and nobody knows what their influence will be. That sort of is, a, is an open door to uh, being an optimist because, oh yeah, I didn't have a very good day today, but there was somebody out there that had a revelation, you know, and yeah. they say, you know, liberty does make sense. And they pursue that course. Yeah. Well, this next picture is going to be something that, that 
brings terror into the eyes of the EU and NATO. This is a tweet from Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Now, the Hungarians and Slovaks have had a rocky relationship for a number of historic reasons. There are different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, there are some territorial issues that we don't have time to go into. Nevertheless, put on this next clip because this is going to freak out all of the elites in D.C. and in Brussels. Orban Victor is tweeting a picture of him <coughs> shaking hands with Robert Fizzo, and it says, guess who's back? Congratulations to Robert Fizzo on his indisputable victory at the Slovak parliamentary elections. Always good to work together with a patriot. Looking forward to it. Now, we know that Orban has been almost alone in Europe by saying we will not participate in this war. We want peace between both countries. We're not going to ship weapons to Ukraine. We're not going to allow them to be shipped through Hungarian territory because we do not want a part of this war. And so now, with Slovakia on board, and you have later this month elections in Poland and then in Germany, we may, I hate, again, I'm too giddy this morning, but we may be seeing the tides starting to turn a little bit. Yeah, and, and you know, there's the attitude uh, by most in America and a lot of Europeans is that Europe is a, is a basket case. Yeah. It, it just might be one of those things when everything looks negative and there's no place to go other than up and, uh, and the things that do happen. So uh, it, that, that's much more important than NATO and us sending our troops over to protect you against those dirty old Russians, <laughs> you know, for people to be changed. Uh, there's been enough freedom uh, uh, to at least to be exposed to this. And as conditions have gotten worse, uh, you do. We have had bits and pieces. So maybe Europe is a philosophically uh, and morally a lot further along in moving away from the tyrannies that they've had to put up with. When you think, I think there were a couple big wars fought over yeah. Europe, and oh, yeah. uh, it would be nice for them to, uh, you know, understand why freedom is the answer. Well, here's a good way to understand why freedom is the answer. Put on this last clip, because one of my favorite photos, uh, Dr. Paul's new book, The Great Surreptitious Coup, Who Stole Western Civilization? It's out now. The best way to get your copy, the only way, in fact, to get your copy, is participate in the fundraiser for the Ron Paul Institute, which, of course, as you know, puts on this program as well as conferences, student seminars, and many other things. The Ron Paul Institute is running its fundraiser, and as a thank you, we will send you Dr. Paul's brand new book. I will put details in the description of how you can support, in my opinion, a great cause and get something super neat and unique out of it. Dr. Paul. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. I want to, uh, of course, thank our viewers once again for tuning in and supporting us because we think it's so important that the message hits us. We emphasize it all the time because I think that is so different than trying to think that you can, you know, push, push what you believe in and insist uh, through, you know, uh, activity of force to have people accept a certain philosophy. And that's why I detest government schools so much. Government schools are built for one reason, and that is to indoctrinate young people to go along with whatever the government teaches. And just look at the results. The results are so bad. And yet, 
here we are. Of course, there's a few people waking up, even in those schools. There are ways of doing that through school boards and other ways and good teachers that are still existing there. But uh, we've gone a long way away from uh, you having decency in schools. And as long as we have the liberty to have schools, private schools and homeschooling, I believe we can conquer the ideological problem because people will respond and ideas have consequences. Good ideas have good consequences. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.